welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm here with Scott O'Malia, the CEO of ISTA, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association. Thanks for being on Fintech Insider, Scott. How are you? Thank you. I'm well, thanks. So like, let's, let's start off by talking about ISTA. What is it? The International Swaps and Derivatives Association is a 30-year-old organization, and we are here to serve the derivative market. Um, we're 900 members in 67 countries, providing all sorts of solutions uh, throughout the past 30 years, and probably best well-known for the ISDA Master Agreement. This was a document that we standardized the legal documentation, and that brought everybody together in a global framework. So we have legal documents standardized across the world that people can use. Then we also have uh, the product definitions we've standardized, identifying what is a interest rate swap or a credit default swap. So driving that innovation and standardization is part of our history and our legacy. And that's something that we do all day long. And in addition, on our advocacy side, we really support a lot of cross-border harmonization, driving those rules across the G20 nations to make sure that they're consistent, uniform, and cost-effective. I mean, that sounds pretty big, right? There's, there's a lot of actors in there. So so who are the members of ISTA? Who, who are the advocates? Who are you advocating for and on behalf of? And, and what problem are you solving for them? I guess standardization was needed, but why? Well, it is. it started with the lawyers and the counterparts and the traders, right? Yeah. People trying to get the documentation so they had standard documents to work off of so they weren't constantly fighting over the documentation. That was 30 years ago, and we still continue to support in a massive way the documentation, right? Continuing to involve document, evolve documents to support like benchmark reform, transitioning off of LIBOR. You need documentation to support that. So that's something we do. But the, the conversation around ISDA, because we represent the entire market, we have buy side, we have sell side, and we have infrastructure providers. And more recently now, we've been adding a lot of technology guys, the innovators and, and uh, the fintech providers. So we're growing that. We're growing our population. We're, in fact, at a record level of members this year. That's very cool. Growing. Well, let's talk a little bit about you, because your career path is pretty unique. Um, you kind of it moved in parallel with the events since the 2008 financial crisis. You worked on the legislative response uh, with the budget committee, then rulemaking at the CFTC, and now implementing those rules. You kind of had a front row seat to the financial crisis. Yeah, absolutely. The entire the entire role. And I first told my parents that I was going to join the Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a commissioner. They said, what's that? <laughs> and some people advised that I needed to get a hobby because it wasn't going to be all that busy. And then the financial crisis hit. Um, I was still working in the U.S. Senate, so I had uh, a day job to worry about. But as it went along... Um, it really was, as you say, a front row seat to the to, to the regulatory reform. And then once I was in that role, I voted on and, and worked through the various rulemakings and try to make sense of it, make sure that we got the right outcomes to make the system safer, um, more transparent and um, more effective. Um, and I think we achieved many of those, not without breaking a few eggs, of course. And so it, it was a front row seat. It was an interesting time to be there. 65 final rules and a great perspective on market design and architecture. And while I was also there, I sat on the, I, I chaired the technology advisory committee. Uh -huh. And that 
too, gave me a neat perspective is to think about innovation and um, how we're going to evolve market structure. At the time, we spent a lot of time thinking about high-frequency traders and mm -hmm. the impact on the market. We also thought about new market structures and what we want the, the new swaps and derivatives market structure to look like as we develop the regulation. So it was a fascinating, very interesting job. It's a great little organization. Um, my parents definitely now know what this CFTC <laughs> stands for. And uh, it's, it's, I'm really proud to have it on my resume. What is somebody fundamentally trying to do when they're working with ISDA, if they're buying or they're selling an interest rate swap, for instance? Talk me through that process. Yeah, absolutely. Our membership support is a risk management function. And when you have a corporation that has cross-border trading, they have to finance products overseas or they finance uh, operations overseas, they have payroll to make, they have to exchange uh, FX, right? They raise money in the corporate bond market with mm -hmm. interest rate products. Um, they manage their interest rate exposure. They use hedging tools. And those are derivatives. And they buy and sell those things to manage their risk. And it's a very important fundamental uh, tool. When you think about capital markets and where capital exists, and I was just in Asia, and that market is slightly different, but they access New York and London to raise money hmm. and to bring, you know, there's trillions of dollars of economic growth. They're growing at 6% annually. They need uh, income and they need resources to drive that economy. So when people, they use the financing in London and and uh, and in New York. They have to manage cross currency uh, risk, and they have to manage interest rate risk. That's where they come, and that's what the purpose of these markets are for. It's so fundamental to economic growth, financing your business, and 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 uh, growing your economy. So, if you're dealing with tens of billions of dollars, and and you're looking for some financing on that kind of scale as a big corporation, the movement in a currency day-to-day -day or even month-to-month, year-to-year can really, really make a big difference. So having somebody that can sell you a product that helps you manage that risk yeah. is, is super helpful. And I guess you guys then can be seen as the rule setters within those markets on the contract side. Yeah, we really make sure that the uh, the industry is well-suited. We have solutions that everybody can use. We help innovate the products. We help innovate the market to make sure that they're transparent, they're cost-efficient. Um, we've done a number of areas where we've really driven some standard products and processes. And, and some of the things are coming out of the Dodd-Frank financial reform and the G20 reforms that people are looking at the market differently and say, all right, how do we, how do we make it more efficient? How do we mutualize these costs across the industry so they're less cost intensive? to each individual firm, but they make sense for the entire organization. So talk to me a little bit about some of the problems in the market, because you're hinting there at, I guess, cost being an issue. Because, mm -hmm. right, I mean, we've, we talked about coming out of the financial crisis, we talked about new rules. Yeah. Those new rules potentially make uh, a lot of the old infrastructure that was there look quite costly. And you talked a little bit about innovating in how we regulate. Sum that up for me. What is the challenge in the market and how do you see your members starting to try and address those challenges? Mm -hmm. First of all, the industry is a safer um, industry, right? We've put um, billions of dollars in new capital, $1.5 trillion in new capital on bank balance sheets. Um, that's roughly the, the equivalent uh, size of the Canadian economy, the 10th largest economy in the world. We've added new margin to, to the uh, process. That makes it a safer process, uh, roughly a trillion dollars in new margin um, that's being added. Um, we have new infrastructures, as you noted, clearing, trading, data reporting. All of those are re requirements and mandates. Mm -hmm. Not that they weren't being used before, but they're now mandated. They're part of the uh, architecture and infrastructure that we actually ha have to deal with. So 
you know, they offer some central solutions that people are gravitating to, and they offer some opportunities to rethink the process. So many people were looking at this from a very tactical standpoint, implementing the rules. Now we have the opportunity to pull back and think more strategically. This is an interesting idea that a rule comes along and it's like, quick, how do I implement that rule? But actually, if it's just technology on top of technology and rule on top of rule and on top of rule, eventually you kind of need to step back and look at, hey, what can we do differently? So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you mentioned fintech and kind of what do you think the impact has been of fintech and innovation? And are we going to see more or less of that in, in capital markets in the coming years? Well, I think two-part question. So, you got to pull back and what is the opportunity? And I think the opportunity yeah. is massive. Um, we think about the efficiency uh, around this market that we can bring. And, and the structure that we're looking at, due to the, uh, you, you referenced kind of the legacy systems. Then you lay on top of that the new regulation, which is a cost driver. That's a huge impact on the bottom line. So we're looking f- to find efficiency. The legacy systems and the new regs are kind of working at a bit cross purpose. And what you need to do is pull back and think about how you properly design the system. And nobody would design the system from scratch the way it's designed today. It is a horizontal architecture, meaning you're handing off from one service provider to the next to get through the life cycle of a trade. It's messy, it's inefficient, and it requires constant sending out of data, bringing it back, reconciling it in your systems, and then doing it all over at each step of the way. It's a bilateral relationship. That's what this market grew out of. And we don't have kind of the vertical efficiencies that other markets, whether retail equities or um, futures, for example. So it's this horizontal inefficient architecture burned by legacy systems and now challenged by new regulations. So people are kind of saying, all right, now's the time. We know what the rules are going to be like. How do we fix it? And that's where the potential that, uh, to your question, what's our potential here? How do we fix it and improve it? And I think people are looking at it and you have a bunch of innovators coming in and looking at specific processes and, or specific products, but nobody's kind of looking at the trade life cycle as a whole. So nobody stepped back and looked at all of it. They looked at bits of it and said, oh, I can solve this bit of the problem, this bit of the problem. Uh, but it, I, I kind of liken this to, um, somebody gave me the example the other day of NASA versus SpaceX, right? So NASA, um, goes all the, have a heritage for their rockets that go all the way back to the V2. And everything was built on top of, built on top of, built on top of, and built on top of, so that a launch cost around about two to three billion dollars, depending on, on how you did it. And so now we have financial market infrastructures and many even legacy technologies inside buy and sell side that have grown on top of, grown on top of, grown on top of stuff that was there and done the way it was. But actually, if you go back to the first principles and look at like, what am I trying to solve? What are the virtues of digital technology in there? How do I execute it? So it's interesting that the market's done that. What answers are they starting to emerge and how does how does fintech start to solve some of those problems, do you think? Well, you know, you have some great uh, interesting companies coming to the fold, but they are looking at it on a very product specific basis. Yeah. And then you have some distributed ledger technologies um, like R3 and Axoni, which are ISDA members, developing those platforms. I think ISDA can come in and, and solve it. Um, kind of bring both of those together and say, all right, let's look at the entire life cycle and figure out what, what's broken. So a year ago, we challenged ourselves. How do we, how do we add value? What, what makes most sense for our membership given the current situation, given the rules, given the legacy systems? Where do we add value? And we looked at it product by product and kind of said, no, that's not it. And we went back to first principles and the fundamentals and said, you know, what we really lack is a, is a common domain or a 
common rules of the road in which people can all share and move data in a consistent fashion. Everything is bilateral. Nothing is done consistently from one architecture to another, one bank from another. They all store data and manage it in a different way. So that's when we came up with the, the common domain model and said, you know, here's, here's a way we can represent the life cycle of a trade in a very standard fashion, representing the economics of, of the event and the transactions that look and feel like proper risk management. Because I think it's fair to say you guys had rules before about how organizations were supposed to treat the data inside their silos, but you didn't have a capacity to say, all right, and here's how you treat right. it inside those silos. So by creating a model for that, you announced, I think, the is the common domain model. Is that an attempt to try and try and answer that? And and does that sort of play into the R3 axonies of the world and, and what they're trying to build? Yeah, I think they, they leverage off of one another. So establishing the rules of the road or a consistent data framework. And it's a data hierarchy to represent both the economic transactions along the steps of the way. So you describe them consistently throughout the market and across product classes. An interest rate product, a credit default swap, or a equity product are all describing their economic value the same way. For example, um, if somebody wants to amend a trade, is it a new trade or is it an amendment to an old trade? Uh. If you don't, have a common representation of that, you could be looking at two different things and you have to reconcile and, and manage that. That usually takes people and it um, undermines the uh, uh, opportunity to automate. So we want to take, describe the rules of the road, put it out as an open source and say, you know, the industry are free to use this. You know, we did the same thing with legal documentation and product representation. Both of those build on and, and help us set up a framework in which that life cycle of a trade, that data and process hierarchy will ha- help establish the rules of the road that everybody can use. And then you can apply those technologies on an R3 or an Axoni, and then the innovators can come in and apply their automated solutions. Because what we don't, right now, what the industry is dealing with is their cutting edge of technology is Outlook and Excel. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just needs a whole lot more assistance than that. And we think that, uh, yes, we could put it on a DLT platform, that's maybe an ideal end state, but I, th- I don't think we lose anything if we don't fully get to that world and we can continue to standard terms and conditions, people can bring in automation that scales because that's the thing right now. They can't come in and nothing scales. They can do one-off solutions, but we can change that. And if everybody's doing everything slightly differently, I don't know where in the process I am. Exactly. And I think so having this ability to know where in the process I am amongst a bunch of people, because it's hard to centralize every type of over-the-counter trade in the world. Like there's centralized bodies and there's market structures that see a bit of the picture, but orchestrating how I manage all of that is kind of difficult. So for somebody to pick up, uh, here's how you orchestrate it. Here's Here are the steps that you take. This is what a trade looks like. And here's what you do next and here's how you should treat it it's kind of connecting the legal pros and the technology with this business piece in the middle would that be fair that's i think you have it right fintech innovation is changing the way we bank and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital onboarding the right fintech partners can take months do you have time to lose introducing the innovation acceleration platform from temenos Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.terminos.com. Cool. So what happens next? Do You've announced the common domain model. You Do you think that... Uh, 
the organizations involved are going to adopt it? What are you, what's your plan to market it? What, what happens from here? Well, this is, this is where as a trade association with 900 members worldwide that we can really leverage the best and the brightest in our, in our business and, and get feedback on it. So version 1.0 is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it represents the life cycle of a trade for an interest rate cleared product. So one product, life cycle of a trade. We're taking feedback on that to get input on it. Did we get it right? What more do we have to add? How much more standardization can we take? You know, you know, any changes they'd recommend. Additionally, we asked somebody, we put a RFQ out to ask a firm to digitize it so we can turn it into a real application. So we've got the conceptual model we're taking feedback on. We're going to digitize that to put it in, in use, whether it's a proof of concept or a technology mm-hmm. demonstration. We want feedback on it and we want to see that it works and, and validate it. Simultaneously, we're going to deepen that, meaning we're going to add it. We're going to take this model and apply it to all the other interest rate products and accredited products and then uh, equity products. Wow. So we'll just keep building it out, taking feedback, engaging the industry, and then doing more and more demonstrations to, to validate that there, there we have this alignment. So you're effectively coordinating a number of tech demonstrations against a model that is at this point, a straw man. It's a 1.0, but it's not a finished product, right? It's almost like the it's in beta, right? Yeah. Here is a set of ideas that can take cost out of the industry because the way the industry has organized itself hasn't changed since the industry's equivalent of the V2 rocket. So we need to kind of rethink some stuff, come again with new tech ideas. Here's a suite of tech, new tech ideas. And do you think that helps with an educational perspective as well? Do you think that people can consider new technologies if they see proof of concepts? And is that some of the conversation you're trying to promote? No, I, I think so, because uh, you know they're looking for innovation because the current cost structure is, is way too burdensome. They're looking for ways to strip out steps in the process mm-hmm. because we've got an old architecture that probably isn't fit for purpose. You don't need that many steps. The automation can come in and innovation will come in. You know, you should be open to that re-engineering. And, you know, again, we want to provide that central discussion point that we share with our members, the innovations and the ideas. That's why we want to demonstrate using proof of concepts or other demonstrations that can validate that this is working and think differently about how we assemble the uh, current architecture. Is there a risk that the cultural norms of, heck, I can just do this with a spreadsheet, heck, the trader can just send the PDF and we can get this out there, or um, my system kind of needs this capability and maybe we should just add this to to the file format. Is there a risk of that happening and a proof of concept hopefully designed to show the way forward? Or is it, do you think it's an inevitability that there'll be compromises along the way? Um, Probably a little of both. I mean, if you look at, take collateral management, for example, um, the new rules require it be transferred on a T plus one basis for non-cleared trades. That requires a complete automation of the systems. No longer can you hand a trade off to your back office and let them dicker and deal while they mm-hmm. tr- tr- provide solutions, fax signatures back and forth, and then you know send wires here, there, and everywhere. This should be part of your t- trading architecture. A dropdown should, should fill in your... Sp- question about what am I going to do? What's cheapest to deliver and when? And it should be a click through. And we cannot afford to have the back office, all those process steps, all that innovation has to you know, has to has to occur to make this re- regulatory compliant and moving as quickly as uh, uh, regulators envision it. It feels to me like there's the pincer movement of your costs have increased because the regulation has come in and is, in- is only increasing. It's not decreasing. There's opportunities in new technologies and rethinking these things. Here's like an idea as to what this new model can look like. Here are some proof of concepts. Mm -hmm. What do you hope happens next? 
Well, I think, you know, that's a great question, first of all. And we don't have a specific role in mind. I think it, it is that bringing the industry together to see what works and how. And you kind of did your bit at that yeah, point. Well, I think there's a lot more that we're going to constantly have to innovate the architecture and think about driving, you know, updating the model itself mm -hmm. and then figuring out how we get different changes. I think the, the industry is going through a lot of reflection on what is necessary and not necessary. Take the is to sim. This is something that we came in and, and, and developed a model um, for initial margin exchange. This was used to be a black box service. Banks would deal with their counterparties. Now it's published on our website and regulators around the world have agreed to adopt this and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and approved it. The entire industry can use one model to exchange m margin. It reduces disputes. It increases uh, the transfer of it, and it, and it provides clarity to the, to the regulators. It's a win-win-win on all fronts. And people are looking at these opportunities to either mutualize these services because some of these services of the past are just sticky, they're inefficient, and they're just not necessary. Do you think um, that the term distributed ledger and distributed ledger technology having an association with um, kind of Bitcoin and, and that, so even though we know the two are different, do you think that that's kind of kept this away from some of the C-suite conversations where concerns like the cost of compliance, concerns like the cost of middle and back office are everyday concerns? Do you think that by demonstrating that we can kind of overcome some of those biases and gaps or, or, or if I perceived it wrong and do you think that it's different? Is your experience with C-suite different? I, I think I think you have it right. Yeah. You know, you just have to pick up a newspaper to find out that C-suite has invested heavily in blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. We know that. We see that. Um, we're working with those partnerships. I think what everybody's struggling with is what are the what are the applications that we put on the blockchain? How does it apply to the derivatives business? Um, you, you speak with a lot of people in the retail space that can disrupt with an app, right? The current account business, completely disruptive using an app. You don't have to set up a corner store or a branch. That's not the solution that's going to pay off here in the derivatives business. There's no app that is going to fix what ails us. Mm -hmm. What we have to do is re-engineer the architecture to figure out what's fit for purpose, chuck over the side which what is not, yeah. and think about bringing technology and innovation in here to make a difference. And I think by having a, a broad perspective, and, and we're looking at every step of the process, doing the math, how much does each one cost from a technology and people standpoint, and then seeing what opportunities there are for savings. So I think when you do that, when you show the math to the C-suite, they'll get it, right? But you have to be able to demonstrate you that this is viable, points. right? And so we'd love to show some shiny technology that is just absolutely fabulous. But we have to go back to the first order. We have to develop the standard and then bring the innovators in because without that, it's gonna be an unscalable and uh, very short conversation. I think that's a really interesting point. You need the standards there in order for somebody to adopt the thing by putting out a straw man and letting the innovators come and try and play with that. That's a really, so if I'm an innovator, how do I get hold of that? Because I'm obviously not an, I'm not necessarily an ISDA member as a, as somebody who may be you know, sitting in a garage somewhere with some great ideas. Yeah. Is there a way I can get involved and, and try and show my tech to ISDA and to, to the ISDA members? Well, we are um, having a big technology conference on November 30th. Um, obviously, go to isda.org um, and, and look at our infrastructure page. It's a brand new website, by the way. We launched last week, and it's a new look and feel. It's easy to find things on it. But go to our architecture page. Get involved with the, with the uh, ISDA MIT, which is the market and infrastructure technology space. Input on the CDM. 
tell us what's working, what doesn't work. And then there's an RFQ we have out there that we'll be happy to work with people to figure out if there's a there's a solution that we can knit together here. I think it's a great opportunity. We, we need the feedback. The faster we get the feedback, the more engagement we have, the, the, the quicker the transition is going to go for the industry. All right. So you heard it here, people. Check out isda.org for more. Before I let you go, Scott, I want to um, pick up on something based on your experience. There's a couple of bits and pieces. First, there was something you mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation where you talked about uh, innovating in uh, within regulation and, and technology and, and the t- where you sat in the CFTC and looking at should it, regulation just be a set of principles or a set of rules or can technology play more of a role? How do you see that subject evolving? Mm-hmm. Well, I think from the early days when, when I was at the commission, thinking about technology is, is it's inevitable. It's part of our ecosystem. And certainly what we've seen in terms of market change and infrastructure you know, it, it's it's very important. We I, I, I firmly believe that we will see more innovation. And, and having looked at the derivatives business, I know we need it in a desperate way. So I, I really do think the regulators have a very open mind about this. And in essence, we're pushing on an open door when it comes to distributed ledger technology. Um, you've seen that. Uh, you've had Chairman Chris Giancarlo on your on your podcast here, and he's done. He's talked about the future, and it, it's a bright and innovative future. Uh, he has established Lab CFTC, which is going to be a great venue. We have uh, the new commissioner Brian Quintens, who's going to take that technology role. Um, he's fabulous, and and will lay out a clear agenda for us in the future. Um, regulators around the world, just in Singapore, very forward looking. They were very interested in working with us around our technology and our legal documentation to figure out what can be turned into a smart contract and how you think about that, validating it from a legal precedent. Re- we really want to bring all of the 30 years of legal history, precedent, judicial review to bear to make sure that we don't make mistakes of the past that have already been solved. Mm-hmm. Technologists are terrific, but they don't probably have a lot of familiarity with um, netting juris- legislation or bankruptcy code. And we can bring all of that to bear and to, to avoid making the same mistakes of the past. And then we can, we can move that transformation much more quickly if we join forces from the legal and documentation side and the technology side. Uh, interesting anecdote. I, I find myself observing both Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of these new technologies starting to reinvent netting and starting to reinvent the way things have evolved. And it's almost like financial markets evolve within a within a closed system to, to look similar. The technology may be different, but the answers are quite similar. So benefiting from that experience is huge. Uh, before I let you go, I have some standard questions we ask everybody. Since, uh, since you're um, kind of in a fairly senior spot as CEO of ISDA, um, I, I got to know, how do you maintain productivity without getting overwhelmed? You were talking about being on a flight uh, here, there, and everywhere earlier. What's your what's your secret for productivity? Well, that's rely on my team, right? You know, we set goals, we set objectives. I count on them to execute, but it's it's a lot about collaboration. We're a global organization, so you know, sitting in my office here in London, I I can't get that engagement. So it's about collaboration and execution. Beautiful, and I guess that's then. How do you motivate your team? Was going to be my next question, but I guess by empowering them is kind of what I'm hearing. I also think that um, we spend a lot of time with the membership and we spend a lot of time solving their problems, whether it's innovating the product sets and and taking the next development or doing the advocacy work. We're a solutions-based organization. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction in that, you know, identifying a problem from the bottom up or from the board and saying, all right, how do we how do we solve this problem? And we've got a great track record of solving people's problems. And that's the truth. Um, and what's the best career advice you've ever received? 
my dad, it would be uh, keep your head down and work hard and the rest takes care of itself. And there's no wiser words. Very, very true. All right, uh, Scott O'Malley, thank you for thank being you. on Finticide. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Um, please do subscribe to our podcast, um, subscribe to YouTube, get in touch with us, and leave us a review on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Uh, that's all for now.